Just a quick word of warning before we get going that the following podcast will almost certainly contain spoilers and may also contain strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Welcome to episode 22 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast giving a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart, I'm a wannabe, cut-rate, Scottish David Cronenberg. <laughs> I love that it's getting but longer. But shiter. <laughs> yeah, it's getting longer every time. Yeah, yeah, just padding out the runtime. Love it, love it. As you may have guessed, we are guestless this evening. Yeah. Or yeah, as you may have heard. Yeah, yeah. well, I, if you listen to our voices when they uh, addressed you on Monday on the minisode, uh, you will know that we had literally an 11.59th hour kind of dropout. Yeah. Like, the- we were just about to press record. Um, so obviously the natural thing to fall to was an Andy versus Mitch episode and because we've done a few rather than take the the kind of awkward road of trying to think of something new no exactly yeah (laughs) who wants to do that so um, obviously last time was my turn and I chose Saw 6 um, which I I feel like I feel like I lost that one a little bit I would say I don't feel more swayed if if anything I feel a little more I feel like kind of (laughs) de-swayed yeah you did kind of leave like Actually, this film sucks. <laughs> I wouldn't say that I thought it sucked, but I think that I, I think that it held up less well than I expected. A demonstrably it to. worse film than you remembered it being. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, that's probably fair. When faced but, with the facts, it crumbled like Ray Vita. Yeah, precisely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was your turn to pick the film. Yeah. And you picked one that, in certain ways, is not necessarily the film, but the filmmaker kind of linked to the genesis of this whole thing. Why we're uh, here, what we do. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. Um, if it wasn't for the director of this film, uh, Mr. J.P. Simone, Juan Piquet Simone, it's quite possible that we would never have started this little endeavour. This is true. Yeah. And uh, long-time listeners to the show will know that one of the reasons why we came up with the idea of doing this entire thing was one night that I was around here and we were watching Slugs. <laughs> yep. Uh, I said it on like Minnesota Zero and I'll say it again. Slugs is a game changer for you. It was. Yep. And uh, you didn't know that there was a directorial connection going into this episode until I informed you. No, like true to form with my like, kind of bumbling ignorance. <laughs> I had no idea. But yeah, so I see the link now. But yeah, you've gone with pieces tonight. Oh uh, yeah, sure have. So this film recently, I guess from a UK release perspective, just had its 35th anniversary. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so as we touched on, kind of accidentally timely, but why did you cheat it? Uh, You've seen it, haven't you? (laughs) I have indeed. It's just so ridiculous. Every single second of it is filmed with something so mind-bogglingly nonsensical that the whole thing just is so charming and hilarious and so fun. Um, it's just one of those films that you could sit down with your friends any night and watch. Like you could watch it fucking ten times in a row and still find something new to laugh at. PCs is an absolute hoot. The acting's diabolical. The writing is ridiculous. The effects are actually quite good. I was gonna say at least in places, pretty solid. I yeah, think. yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah. It's gory. It's silly. It's everything you want in a daft horror slasher film. But my real question for you, Andy, is. Okay. Uh-huh. 
Can you tell us what it's about in 30 seconds? Oh, oh shit. <laughs> I, I, do you know, again, totally disarmed. I didn't think you would do it twice. See, when it's not <laughs> on you to put 30 seconds on the clock, no, but forget, I don't, Literally, you? this is one of the few times in a day I don't have my phone in my hand. Right, you ready to do this? Uh, yeah, right. okay, let's go. Three, two, one, go. The story kicks off with a little boy doing a, a jigsaw of a nudie woman. Um, and uh, his mum interrupts and sees him hard at it. Uh, and she gets an axe in the head. And then we cut to 40 years later and a bunch of girls are being murdered on a college campus and it falls to one cop and one guy to kind of figure out what's happening. 18 seconds. There we go. Second place. I'm not going to lie, that was that was really good. I thought you were going to lose it completely because you spent so much time on the first scene, but then yeah. you got super tight after that, super yeah. lean. I'm yeah. impressed. There's actually not a great deal of story at play here. That is very true. But what we do have is a lot of random characters introduced for no particular reason and then discarded. Yes, very true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, an almost an almost unbelievable rate. Um, well, let's jump right in. Absolutely. I think. Um, and we're jumping right into Boston in 1942. There is nothing in this film filmed in Boston. I do want to stress that. Uh, anything that purports to be Boston is, in fact, stock footage, I believe. Okay. Uh, it's all filmed in Madrid. Right, yes, 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 yes. Um, but yeah, we start on a little boy making a jigsaw of a naked lady. Um, yeah, uh, the naked lady. In, uh, I don't know. This is probably a very Scottish reference, but I'll I'll kind of tell you um, a little bit about it. Back in the day, like back in the kind of seventies and eighties, Tenants Lager, which is one of the most kind of popular lager brands in Scotland, uh, they used to have like scantily clad women posing provocatively on the can. They had like na- yeah, their names on it, like Liz. Yeah, Barbara, <laughs> and they were posing kind of sexily, on the- and it always makes me think of. Uh, I know Cara Terrence. Yeah, like right that like that like uh the artwork and facial expressions and stuff. Yeah. Again, I think they're very yeah. much like that. <laughs> or like one of those mugs that you hold, like you kinda of put hot water in and the bikini falls off. We should um we should definitely put a picture of an old kind of tenants of, uh with part of the show. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, it. yeah, I'll definitely do that. I'll definitely do that. But uh yeah, yeah. Yeah, like thank you for that chilling trip down memory lane also. <laughs> you say chilling, I say thrilling. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> moving swiftly on um, so yeah we have a kid here like you say he's doing a puzzle of um, a naked lady and also singing Humpty Dumpty with slightly modified lyrics to fit the film thematically a little more conveniently yeah um, unnerving yeah and then um, his mum storms in no real sensitivity towards kind of like childhood curiousness and things like that no, you, she could have sat him down, had the birds and the bees chat yeah she, um, she comes at a slightly different angle she comes out hot <laughs> I think it's fair to say. Yeah, she comes out swinging. Literally swinging. She smashes his room into pieces. She's also one of those, again, overly talkative people who is narrating everything. I'm going to break your fucking mirror. Got that pornographic magazines. Yeah, like, and then after after she tells him to leave, he's like, she's like, I bet he's got loads more of this here somewhere. And all this. And she like, wishes, she hopes. So she's furious and, like you say, very talkative, but she kind of like, she casts the puzzle to one side. Uh, she smashes a mirror in his room. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, yeah, she kind of banishes the kid from the room. He comes back, and then what I would characterize as being kind of like towards the more extreme end of the tantrum scale, he uh, hits her four times in the head with an axe. Yeah. <laughs> um, the punishment fits the crime. <laughs> so there's like a kind of a, a little bit of a passage of time here because it cuts back and he's just kind of like the initial kind of hysteria the moment has passed. He's just kind of like studiously slicing up with a hacksaw, which he's sourced from elsewhere in the house, presumably. Yeah, but, but this is the way this film works. There is no clear cut path or avenue to any of it. 
No, no, no. It's all utter nonsense. Yeah, it kinda, it, madness. It kind of shows you what it feels like when it feels like it, I think, <laughs> yeah. to a large extent. Yeah. Um, but the police show up at the house at this point. Um, they've been alerted by housekeeper, a I think. A kind of nanny? Yeah, that, that, like an au pair kind of character. Now, I think it's important to head this up that this film is riddled with police ineptitude. Yes. Some uh-huh. of the... I, I know, um, I think we touched on it in the Rawhead Rex episode way back with Duncan McLeish, who actually uh, had made noises about doing pieces himself. We talked about inept policemen in horror movies, mm-hmm. and a Blood Feast came up in it as well for featuring some pretty inept police officers. Yeah, I feel like we touched on this again. I think I think possibly with Chris Alexander on Blackula, maybe. All oh, right, okay. And maybe again in The Incredible Mountain Man. Pieces is littered with bad policing. Oh yeah, like oh, it's 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 kind of like I would say I would say it's one of the film's prominent themes. Yeah. Upon entering the room where uh, the young boy has just chopped and sawn up his mother, there is blood spattered everywhere. It's carnage, and uh, one the police officer uh, astutely posits the theory that he hopes it was an animal, despite there being a blood-covered axe and saw on the floor. <laughs> Presumably one of those animals that's got a kind of anthropomorphized kind of like like a yogi bear. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just like yeah, it's a, a, a must be one of those woodland creatures with opposable thumbs. Yeah, top cat. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That's on a bar with the Rawhead Rex uh, revenge killing thing. Yeah. That's amazing. Uh, but yeah, no, there is no body, but when they open the cupboard, there is a head. There is a head. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> on display, angle. atop a kind of armoire, like on kind of on general display once they opened it up. And then uh, they found, obviously, the kid in the other in the other cupboards. And I mean, he's adapted. He's had time to prepare. So yeah. The police showing up. Um, he's kind of openly kind of like cro- proper crocodile tears and everything. Proper psycho behaviour. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's decided at that point that while this is all investigated and things, he is going to go to his aunt's, right? Yeah. Uh, His father's in Europe, despite this very clearly being Europe. (laughs) (laughs) Not not Boston, as purported. Yeah, that's that's fair. (laughs) And then then we get the credits. And then we hop to 40 years later. Yeah. (laughs) And um, 40 years later, but pretty familiar terrain right away. I think it's important to say at this point, 40 years later kind of narrows your suspect list down a little bit. It's only just really hit me there. Wow. Unless you unless you take the pre-credits thing to be a non-sequitur, which would make... <laughs> a, a, a lie. Which, yeah, or, like, or, or just like a completely unrelated story, which would make no sense. You're quite right, actually. Yeah, the, the window of uh, who the murderer is in the present day gets considerably smaller when you consider that they must be 40 plus. Perhaps not in terms of the actors playing the characters, though. <laughs> yeah, fair. Uh, but certainly the characters as presented, though. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that's just hit me there. But I digress. Let's go. Wait, are you telling me that there's a logic flaw in pieces? No. Uh, good, good. I no, can handle I, I would it. never tell you that. Um, but yeah, like I say, we, ju- we jump ahead 40 years, but we go straight back to, like I say, fairly familiar territory, and then we see kind of unidentified gloved hands opening a box with the dress that the mum died in. Yep. Fairly surprised that hasn't been seized as evidence enough to find her shoes. Her shoes also, yeah, yeah, yeah. Blood-covered shoes. They're fairly stunned that both of those things weren't retained by the police. And also a picture of of Timmy's mum as well. So, and then... At this point, possibly one of the stranger moments in the film. In a film, fuck off! No, it isn't. <laughs> I, I think it is. In a, in, in a film, in a film that has no shortage of strange moments. Yeah, we have. I think uh, it's a contextually baffling moment. Definitely, because we we cut to an unidentified woman who is skateboarding. Yes, quite ebulliently she's uh, she's having a great time oh, she's yeah, waving yeah. at people she's putting one leg up like she's having oh, she's, a fucking she's, great she's, time oh, she's like alive with youthful abandon <laughs> um, 
until she batters head on into a mirror that is being uh, kind of carried out by two like kind of mo- removal guys or classic yeah. movie trope. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, yeah. But like, um, but I would say more classic if it tied into anything rather than just being. It's completely just picked up and dropped. She, you never see her again. Um, there's no not that you'd expect to necessarily. <laughs> There's no, there's absolutely zero relation to anything else. Reminds me of the scene in Wayne's World, where earlier on in the film you see the guys that are setting up the watermelons and the like, the chickens by the side of the road, and the, these guys' job is to walk back and forward with this big plate of glass. Yeah, and we're just stacking these chickens and melons. Totally that, like it just, uh, yeah, just it doesn't turn up at all. <laughs> but it's around this point that we kind of pivot into <laughs> the uh, kind of narrative thrust of the thing. <laughs> if you like where we have um, a girl kind of sitting studying on a patch of grass sure yeah so she's sitting studying and her studying is disrupted by a guy kind of trimming hedges in the background with a chainsaw with a chainsaw with a chainsaw seems excessive but yeah sure yeah this is all shot in a kind of very egregious kind of lecherous camera angle choices that were kind what of you like, mean because he we get a right good look at our ass pretty much yeah yeah, 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 yeah exactly yeah. that like yeah. yeah that kind of it's product of the time kind of thing very much so <laughs> but yeah any kind of titillation from that fairly quickly kicked into touch when he lobs her head off with a chainsaw <laughs> it does indeed good effect by the way nice uh, lovely headless twitching corpse there yeah very nice presumably we had a pretty uncomfortable actress with her head under the ground yeah fair play <laughs> no it, like, not everything about that looks totally fine no problem with that at all. So, yeah, here you go. There's a murderer on campus, and we cut straight to uh, the interior of the school where we have our chief two inspectors, <laughs> yeah, or, or kind of investigators, if you like. So straight off the back of the murder, we cut to the school, and we meet your kind of top two that are investigating this thing. Yeah, the best men are on the case. Yeah, so you've got... Homicide's finest. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Inspector Bracken, first up. Yeah, that's uh, Christopher George, uh, former Playgirl centerfold Christopher George. Oh, uh, credentials. Yeah, probably best known to horror fans as being in, uh, for being in Graduation Day and Fulci's City of the Living Dead. Okay, yeah, yeah. And alongside his partner, Randy Holden. Randy Holden. Randy Holden is a, a porno name if ever I've heard one. I hadn't clocked that his first name was Randy. I've just got Sergeant Holden in my He's notes. actually Lieutenant Randy Holden. Outstanding. Um, played by some European guy. Excellent. Cool. Um, okay. Whose name escapes me. I've been playing to my strengths because I know who Christopher George is. Yeah, no, that's um, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, he is certainly playing a badly dubbed uh, American police officer. Very convincingly, my AI. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And at this point, like, like I said, so we get kind of introduced to them very quickly, long enough to know, basically, that they're going to be your kind of top two, your figureheads of this investigation. They're investigating the headless cops in the garden. Yeah. And straight out of the back of this, because it's very, very briefly that we see um, Holden and Bracken. Yeah. They're hardly really there before we cut to these kind of fairly insufferable students having this conversation outside of a lecture hall. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. But the real crux of this scene is that we're introduced to the walking enigma that is Professor Brown. Yeah, he's this kind of weird John Watersy pencil moustached guy. Yeah, like, I know that he's John Waters and someone... Right, but yeah. I can't figure out the second half of the comparison. I still think I'm, I'm, he's that guy from The Simpsons that goes, Hello! Do you have a table for the mayor? <laughs> yes! <laughs> oh, that's fair, I see that. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty close, actually. But um, we, So we meet him, and yeah, I can't tell, like because obviously one of, the, one of the students goes over to him and kind of flirts with him. And yeah, I, and I don't know if they think he's cool, or if they think he's hot, or if they're taking the piss out of him. Yeah, it's really weird, because I can't tell from the way that he's dressed and styled if he's supposed to be sexy. Yeah, like this kind of enigmatic professor with this uh, cool tweed jacket I was gonna and say, weird with this pencil moustache. 
Yeah, I can't really tell, which makes that whole, that entire sequence kind of baffling to me. So we meet him, and I think that that's kind of important because obviously he becomes kind of kind of important as it goes on. <laughs> um, but we're straight back into the police investigation because he's kind of on his way to the dean's office. Yes, yeah. He goes in, and he kind of becomes party to this conversation with Holden and Bracken that we'd seen in the beginning of. Mm-hmm. The police have instantly assumed that it's a staff member. Yeah, and uh, at this, at this point that we meet the Dean, played by Edmund Purdom, who uh, people might know from Joe D'Amato's Absurd or from Perfume of the Lady in Black, but he's pretty keen to point attention at uh, Professor Brown. He's like, oh, I think you should look at this guy. He's single, he lives at home with his mother, he's the anatomy professor. Basically, I don't think that Professor Brown helps himself with this after that. But just before uh, they leave the office, he's talking about how this is going to be pitched, you know, because like somebody being murdered on campus doesn't look good. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and all this kind of thing. Uh, so he said that the party line between staff and alumni is that, that it was an unfortunate accident. <laughs> this woman being indiscriminately decapitated on the lawn of the campus with a chainsaw was this kind of just... Stranger things have happened, Mitch. No, this is <laughs> but... I can't think of any. But no, yeah, the, but yeah, the party line is... That this is going to be that that's an accident. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So Professor Brown's kind of tasked with showing uh the two inspectors around, and in doing so, he immediately starts acting unbelievably suspiciously. <laughs> like, it takes them into the classroom, shows them the skull of an unidentified sixteen-year-old. Yeah, that was given to him by a former pupil. Yeah. And the inspectors do the first thing that I would do, which would be like, let's get a read on this guy. <laughs> Which I think is fair. But also around this time we get an amazing line and I, f- I think it's Sergeant Holden that says it because they're kind of, they're asking Professor Brown some questions but they're kind of flying blind. Right. But rather than saying we're flying blind here, he says, we're just buying clothes with no labels and trying them on for size. <laughs> As the old saying goes. Next time I don't have a fucking clue what I'm doing in life, I'm just going to freak out and scream that at the top of my lungs. <laughs> Look, guys. Just... I'm just buying clothes with no labels and trying them on for size. Uh, no, I love that. And um, we can't decide immediately to what I would contest is possibly the prime suspect at this point. It's certainly framed that way. Uh, Willard, the groundskeeper. <laughs> yeah, played by Paul L. Smith, and what I think is an absolute masterclass of acting. <laughs> he's tremendous. <laughs> oh my god, he's so fucking good. But again, I think that like the film is at pains to do a kind of like everyone's a suspect thing here. Yeah. Because when we, when we meet Willard, in what is not a masterclass in timing, he is trimming hedges with a chainsaw. <laughs> correct, correct. And uh, has what I would say is almost thick from Friday the 13th levels of uh, thinly concealed rage. <laughs> yeah, it's fair. <laughs> and a, a twitching madman's eye. He really does. He really yeah. does. He doesn't. He like. He like. He doesn't play it straight for a fucking second in this. No, movie. no, no. And the film's all the better for it. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> and like I say, at this point, you want you want to believe that anyone could have done it. So you've already met like two, possibly three, like reasonable suspects. So I'll be um, honest. I'm side eyeing Bracken as well at this point. Okay, that's reasonable. Yeah. And then I think one of the films kind of like first very, very unnecessary or kind of like very, not not going to say unnecessary because if you're going to have a serial killer film, he has to serially kill people. Sure. But, but one of the more indiscriminate ones. 
be cut to a study hall. Yeah, and we're introduced to what I would actually say is probably our key protagonist here. Potentially, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kendall. Yeah, I would say that's reasonable. Now, Kendall appears to be, certainly in terms of storytelling, more than his outward appearance, seems to be the, the BMOC. He's your big man on campus here. He's fucking everybody. Oh yeah, it seems that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, no, it is that way. It is that way. He conservatively has sex with three different women in this film, <laughs> um, and that's just the ones we know about. Yeah, who, <laughs> who knows what he's doing when the camera? Oh my god! On. Yeah, no, no. But uh, he's at this point, he's seen some young girl called Grace. Grace, yeah, who has dropped off a note that Kendall should meet her in the swimming pool. Um, in half an hour. Uh, yeah, something yeah, like something that. Like yeah, that. Yeah. So this is a study hall kind of thing, it seems. Yeah. We then cut to the pool. Um, see, just before it does that, I love the fact that he's framed as the cool guy. Mm-hmm. But we actually get this laboured shot of him trying to throw something into the bin and missing. I love that. It's ridiculous. But also, crucially, the gloved hand of the killer picks up that note as well. Yeah. When he throws it away. Because it's Grace's note that he's yeah. It's away. also important to mention that uh, I know a lot of people tend to think that the, the killer in this is just a very archetypal, giallo-style killer. But it's actually based on the comic book character The Shadow. Oh, really? Some people might know from the shitty 1994 comic book rip-off film starring Alec Baldwin. I mean, I, I needless to say, I, I did not pick that up. Yeah, but uh, he's styled to look like the Shadow. Right, okay, I see. I did kind of just think Jello, to be honest. But yeah, you're right. Like, So Grace uh, leaves Kendall a note saying that uh, she wants to have some underwater sex. And why not? Yeah, some, <laughs> some nautical intercourse. Yeah, splash, splash. Um, so yeah, she takes off uh, to the pool and we get an extremely protracted sequence of her kind of taking her clothes off and going for a spot. Yeah, I've got to say, it's pretty fucking drawn out. And at no point is watching this girl take her clothes off in the least bit titillating. Yeah, it's, it's quite actually yawning. Just it's, it's it's presented like, it's presented in quite a workman like fashion, isn't it? Very much so. Yeah, we have to watch her struggling to take off her cowboy boots. Yeah, <laughs> every layer comes off in painstaking detail. Yeah, that is a hundred percent true. Yeah, and they so she goes for a swim and enter our well, what she thinks is possibly Kendall. Well, although why he would choose to be dressed like the shadow is completely anyone's guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she's, he was rocking double denim in study hall. I don't a lot know of people in this change. film rock double denim. You mm. might have noticed. Yeah, um, your man earlier, Willard, he's in double denim for the whole film. Yeah, but we we also get a protracted stock scene as well that just goes on for fucking ages. So the much lurking, feet just like plodding along and wheezing. So much lurking he's and so, so much wheezing. He's so fucking wheezy. He's so wheezy. That's Every- got to age your killer right there. Wow, yeah, that's Although so true, actually. Although it could be actually. me. <laughs> 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 um, so, she, but, so Grace is going for a swim, and I think that he act, the way that he kind of pulls her back to shore, if you like, is great. Back to shore, <laughs> okay. You know, with the, with the kind of pool cleaner's net thing. That you're ah, you mean head. a specimen bag? I believe it's a specimen bag. <laughs> yeah. As it was so called in Life Force, right? Yeah, the Life Force episode, yeah. yeah but yeah. he uh, kind of grabs her in a... In, this net like a again like a large butterfly or a large trout yeah pretty much and um uh, yeah and pulls her over and then kind of eventually kills her but he doesn't bring the chainsaw in with him so are we to believe that he's dropped it off in advance oh yeah that's right yeah he's not carrying it but he he goes for it at some point oh yeah he sure does Although but, we do see later he's got a rather nifty line in uh, getting away with walking with a chainsaw behind his back and people not noticing. That's true, he may have just deceived us, I guess. Yeah. So, um, yeah, at this point, kind of Grace is kind of offed. Yeah. And Kendall, we kind of get this thing of Kendall getting the note and realising that something's wrong. 
I don't under, I don't get this bit either because he already knows that she's going to be at the pool, but he gets another note. Yeah, I don't understand this. But can I get a name check on the guy that gives that to him? <laughs> uh, I'm gonna. I'm, <laughs> you mean the kind of overweight guy with the curly hair and the glasses, the yeah. total fucking dork guy. Okay, I'm gonna go with Eugene. Okay, let's call him Eugene. <laughs> so, um, Eugene kind of hands him this note, and Kendall looks worried. And then Eugene says one of my favourite lines of dialogue in the film. All right. Where he says, don't tell me I'm the bearer of bad news. I could kill myself. Which I think is less of a case of don't shoot the messenger and more a case of the messenger shooting himself. Yeah, but then Kendall's like, I don't worry about it, man. He's like, oh, phew, I'm too young to die. <laughs> you're like, shut the fuck you're t- up, Eugene. <laughs> you're sticking this very literally, Eugene. Right. But um, at this point, yeah, uh, Willard, the groundskeeper, discovers Grace's remains. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, his, his reaction to this is unbelievable. What you mean when the moment when he engages in a hilarious double denim brawl with the police? <laughs> yeah, pretty much that. <laughs> yeah, he's like kind of whirling dervish of denim clad fury. <laughs> yes, precisely that. He's delivering big haymakers and big kind of like clubbing blows to the back like a kind of wrestler. Yeah, I yeah. mean, uh, like, yeah, there's no other way of putting it. He, um, yeah, he, he fights off, like, four or five people at once. <laughs> he um, kicks one police officer roundly into the pool. Oh, by the way, it's also worth mentioning that that actress almost died in that pool because th- this was shot in the depths of winter and the pool was so fucking cold it nearly killed her. Really? Yeah. Fucking hell. <laughs> okay. He laughed. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> Jesus, that's metal. So yeah, so but eventually, after a protracted struggle, Willard's kind of apprehended, kind of taken it in custody. And we're assuming at this point, perhaps fairly, that Willard is our, is, is our killer here. Well, I mean, his his reaction to the authorities turning up wasn't exactly proportional. And his behaviour throughout has been pretty suspect. Yeah, pretty erratic. <laughs> um, so we, we get this kind of crime scene afterwards where um, all of the various bits of Grace's remains have been kind of individually bagged. Yeah, packaged up like uh, kind of in freezer bags. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, like, for freshness. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then Professor Brown turns up, like, in the middle of all the investigators and the professionals. Touches everything. Yeah, like, yes. Like, you know, on the subject of, like I say, what I was talking about earlier, about this film kind of ladling on all of the suspicious people, doing <laughs> all of the suspicious things. <laughs> he comes in and immediately starts manhandling all the evidence, including the murder weapon. He's told, don't touch that, and he just goes... And he's like, oh, I'm sorry, oh, is, 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 is my DNA all over this now? I'm sorry, oh no. <laughs> Spitting on stuff. He could not be more suspicious in this moment. No, no, no. no. <laughs> um, but then immediately also turns into a short of coming in dressed like the shadow and taking <laughs> off his hat. <laughs> just throwing a chainsaw to one side, being like, "What's all this then? What's Let all the commotion?" Let me put down my canister of chainsaw fuel. <laughs> Um, but yeah, then he, he walks in amidst all these professionals, all these crime scene investigators, and uh-huh. starts kind of patronising them almost. Oh, it's brilliant. Yeah. But he He's offers, got it all figured out. He offers no real theory. Well, I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't need a theory. He tells them it's elementary. He says it's elementary, but he doesn't say what's elementary. He's just like, oh, it's elementary. And then everyone's like, oh, thank you. That'll be all. Just like, get this fucking guy out of here. That's totally what I did. Get this like... fucking guy out of here. But then we cut immediately to more suspicious behaviour, this time from Kendall, and then to a dance interlude. I'm sorry, Mitch, I'm going to have to ask you to back up here. I don't think you gave the fact that we have a dance scene in here the credit that it's due. That's reasonable. Because Let's let's have a redo here. So, one thing that I wasn't expecting at this point was a dance break. Yeah! A dance (laughs) interlude! 
<laughs> Which is, again, fast becoming a theme post-Nature into Terror. Coming straight off the back, by the way, of a scene where Kendall is walking with his hands in his pockets and his thumbs in his belt loops. Straight up like a line dancer. What yeah. a tit. Yeah, uh, 100%. Yeah, the dance interlude, it's a strange one. Yeah, hilarious song. Very, very, very leotardy. And uh, not one of them in time with each other. Yeah, so six or seven all-female dancers, leotards in a dance studio, dancing all the song. Like you say, 100% out of time. One with the song and two with each other. Very much made me just want to watch Death Spa. Reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. No, that's fair. And then again, we've got our masked man kind of surveying them from outside the door, doing what you called in the Incredible Melting Man episode as a powder lurking. Yeah, powder lurking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, the Andy Stewart wheeze. Very much, yeah, yeah, yeah. Audibly wheezing again. Yeah, yeah. I'm concerned. I'm concerned for his kind of. Uh... Yeah, but it's good that you're concerned for the killer rather than uh, wishing ill upon him. Well, exactly. It says um, a lot about you. Uh, but yeah, one of the women uh, in the dance troupe goes to the bathroom at this point. Yeah, she does loudly scat, sc- yeah, uh, scat sing yeah. all the way. Big fan of scat. Yeah, and uh, scat singing. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> and then we have a fake out jump scare. Yes, which reminded me after so many films on this podcast where I get annoyed about an abundance of fake out jump scares. It reminded me that fake out jump scares are fine in moderation. And that they exist because they're not really liberally dotted through this film, despite it purporting to be a slasher film. Very true. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, yeah, there's not really that many of them. So actually, this scene serves no purpose whatsoever at all. Yeah, it just kind of fizzles out. Like, Yeah, I mean, like, uh, we don't know much about her. We don't learn much about her. We don't need to. This scene is absolutely pointless, aside from having a scene with some attractive women dancing in very, very tight clothes. Yeah, I think that that's all, like, that's the sole purpose. Yeah. Um, because... And I don't think we ever see these people again. No, that's true. It's a fake out jump scare, and then the scene just kind of dies. Yeah, there is a girl who dies after dancing later, but I'm sure she's not even one of these two. No, I don't think so. <laughs> um, and we cut away and meet yet another investigator. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just throw yeah. another one yeah. on the pile. Yeah. Everyone's a detective. Yep, Jennings. Yeah. Uh, here to build um, a profile on the killer. I would say at this point, I would say he's comfortably the most superfluous of your investigators because he doesn't he doesn't reoccur that often after this. No, I don't think... Does he come back at all? Ever? I don't yeah. think he does. Like, uh, I couldn't get past how tight Kendall's jeans are. Okay, yeah, that's um, fair. So, yeah, I had a fleeting, fleeting look at Jennings. Again, this is kind of vying for a, like the most pointless scene in the film kind of thing. Well, no, because we're introduced to Mary here. Okay. Who yeah. is... Uh, I guess my, 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 my argument is more that Jennings is a pointless character rather than Jennings is a pointless is certainly scene, a pointless character, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. At this point, also, it's worth noting that Kendall is on the verge of being deputised. <laughs> on the verge. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's getting, like, way over-involved and very, like, kind of welcomed into the investigation with open arms at this point. He keeps yeah. turning up and everybody is very up for him just turning up and positing theories and things like that. He's never told to really get out of Dodge. No, like, no, not at all. He's like drinking coffee with the cops and like just hanging out with them. Like. Yeah, ah, yeah. Um, which is interesting because I think at this point he's still a suspect. <laughs> he is still a suspect. They do touch on that mm. uh, at one point actually. Or uh, Randy Holden does. <laughs> Good old Randy Holden. Good Randy Holden, he's the fucking voice of reason throughout here, by the way. Yeah, but, but you're quite right, though, a crucial character introduction at this point. Yeah, full-time tennis champion, part-time police detective. <laughs> yes. Mary, played by Linda Day George. Linda Day George, there she is. Yeah, yeah. Um. So, yeah, she's uh, going to be dispatched into the campus. 
undercover, despite being easily the most well-known female tennis player in the world. Yeah, like I mean, this would be the equi- undercover. This is like this is the equivalent of it being like the tennis instructor at your school being like, "This is Venus Williams." <laughs> and everyone being like, "Okay, never mind." Yeah, fine. just like, just, oh, oh, hi. Fine. Yeah. So yeah, but she's gonna pose as a tennis instructor because I feel like we need to just put the impossibility of that to one side. But yeah, she's posing as a tennis instructor on campus while investigating, with the assistance of Kendall. Again, the authorities super willing to just drag Kendall into the absolute meat and potatoes of this investigation without having first cleared his name. <laughs> There's an amazing point here where like, Randy Holden's completely fucking incredulous at this. He's like, what the fuck is this guy doing here? Why is he here? And uh, Bracken's like, look, I trust this boy. I stake my life on him. You're like, what the fuck? <laughs> I stake my life on him as an unbelievably bombastic thing to say. This boy has been present at multiple murder scenes. He has got to be a fucking suspect. He's covered from head to toe and go. Yeah, he's like currently alibi free. <laughs> and he's been adjacent to all the Where were you so when far. these girls were murdered? Yeah, pretty close by. <laughs> yeah, like, jogging distance. But nonetheless, yeah, he's inexplicably, yeah, he's, he's, not only are they like quite willing for him to come pretty much come and go as he pleases it seems yeah um and offer theories and like say hang out with the investigators and stuff but now he's also actively assisting with the investigation yeah yeah and yeah this is at this point that you do get a little tingle of uh sexual chemistry between kendall and uh, mary mm-hmm, definitely it's, it's unavoidable especially when you're around kendall it seems big man on compass as you said yeah so at this point characters are being introduced at a rate that i could hardly keep tabs on <laughs> right because no sooner do we meet Mary do we also meet intrepid reporter Sylvia Costa of the Boston Globe right okay of the Madrid <laughs> the Madrid Boston Globe Madrid for sure. <laughs> uh, so she's hot on the scent but basically she's again she's just there long enough to just be an intrepid reporter we don't learn anything about her she just introduces herself as a journalist and it immediately cuts kind of oh we hear though in this scene that Willard the groundskeeper has been released on account of a lack of evidence <laughs> fair enough is it? I don't know. <laughs> Fair enough, man. Like, but after this, we cut straight back to um, one of the film's central themes, lurking, um, <laughs> where uh, yeah, yeah. The, the, the killer, or we assume the killer, is, again, we're back in the dance studio, a nameless girl, this time dancing on her own in the studio. Same dance, different song for some reason. Sure. Seems kind of confusing. Uh, she's doing that. There's a confrontation. There's a chase. Yep. Stalking. Breathing. She meets a sticky end eventually, but she doesn't actually die from the wounds that she gets here. No, um, she recognises the killer. And like I mentioned earlier, he has smuggled in a chainsaw, a rather large chainsaw behind his back. And uh, there's a scene here, he chops her arm off in the lift, which I think is sensational. Oh, from an effect angle, it's so good. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit rubbery looking, but it fucking works, man. It looks great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I completely agree. So yeah, we, we, she loses both arms in the lift, right? <laughs> she, she, we only see the loss of one. Um, I'm guessing the other one happens when we cut to outside and it's Kendall hanging about with his two Keystone Cop pals as they <laughs> desperately try to break in to find out the source of the screaming. With these two, I don't know if they're cops or like campus security or something, but they're completely inept. Again, one of them suffers from the same issue that we had in Life Force where one of them cannot run to save himself. Yeah, it's true. We find pretty quickly that she has had both arms severed, but uh, at the point that the police discover her, she is not dead. She's not dead, no, no, no. And they think that she may be a viable witness. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) They think that. They're about to interrogate her when when the doctor says, her chances of survival are zero. 
<laughs> Fair enough. So I guess the trail's gone cold on that one. Another roadblock. That's <laughs> <laughs> fucking ludicrous. Yeah, and despite the fact that his girlfriend was uh, chainsawed to death maybe a day ago. Oh, Kendall has rallied. Oh, he's rallied. He's already been flirting with another girl. And we cut to a scene of him in bed with a pretty terrifying girl, actually. Um, yeah, she's a, a pretty, pretty eccentric woman. Yeah, yeah. Funny. <laughs> yeah. Kendall, so Kendall's in bed with her. Yeah, I don't think we, I would call her back. I've got to be honest. I know okay. that maybe makes me sound like a terrible person, but I think this would be the end of the road for me. She's, yeah, she's she's fairly eccentric, um, fairly vocal yeah. yeah, it's a strange interaction. And weirdly beggy. We get a lovely shot of Kendall's cock here if anyone's interested in having a look at that. Everyone else seems to want to see it, so... Uh, <laughs> it's yeah. really lingering. Yeah, it's, it's there on show. <laughs> Although, if anything, in, in a film that is so kind of... In a film that is so littered with female nudity, I suppose you can kind of call it an equality win. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Hey! You know, absolutely. Like, uh, but yeah, no, it's um, it's yeah, it's pretty good shoot. It's pretty, uh, pretty lingering, pretty unflinching. My favorite scene in the film comes up here. Oh, go on. <laughs> oh, oh, I know which one you mean. Um, well, Kendall is strutting around the bedroom naked, trying his best to get the fuck away from this cycle that's trying to get him to come back to bed. Uh, he glances out the window and he notices Mary walking alone. Yeah, she's kind of patrolling the perimeter at this point, I think. Yeah, <laughs> the tennis coach patrolling the perimeter. Yeah, why not? Fuck it. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Dead and night, totally fine. <laughs> when she happens upon an Asian guy uh, who jumps out at her from behind a pillar, uh, the two of them then proceed to have what can only be described as the best martial arts fight I've ever seen in my life, in which Mary triumphs. Yeah, she does, she does. Which made all the more inexplicable when it turns out where that guy's, well... Well, let me tell you a little bit about this guy, right? So, at the time that this film was being made, the producer was also making kung fu films in Italy. Right. The man uh, who plays the the, the Asian guy here, his uh, stage name, if you like, his nom de guerre, is Bruce Lee with one E, and he's a Bruce Lee impersonator. You're kidding. No. That's incredible. Because he was involved with a production company in general, they roped him in to weirdly play this character here, Mr. Chow. Mr. Chow. um, Who, as it transpires, is the university's professor of kung fu. (laughs) Not a great professor at kung fu, considering he was put on his ass by the tennis instructor. Yeah, who, to the best of our knowledge, has no Kung Fu training. She might have, but yeah, but we don't know that. We uh, also then get some incredibly dodgy voiceover. I mean, I mean, like, this is like Song of the South racist. <laughs> yeah, I might just put the clip in. I mean, yeah, this is, I mean, it's pretty outrageous. I, I, yeah. I, I certainly, I would rather have that over an impersonation. I think I would rather just remind people what it sounded like. Yeah. Oh, hey, it's my Kung Fu professor. What's the story, Chow? Oh... I am out jogging, and next thing I know, I am on ground. <laughs> Something I eat. <laughs> Bad chop suey. So long. Take it easy. Bruce Lee doesn't. <laughs> Bruce Lee. Uh, Bruce Lee doesn't, <laughs> doesn't look embarrassed at all by any of this. Like, he looks quite into it. Fair, yeah. <laughs> He's never seen again. And it's just an amazing, baffling scene, and a film full of amazing, baffling scenes. And just one more thing that you can say to your pals when you're all pissed and watching this together. Bruce Lee's in this. 
Yeah, because you're technically not lying. <laughs> no, you're you're kind of telling the truth, Bruce Lee. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so shortly after this, kind of what, like I say, I I think that is one of the film's most bizarre interactions. It's my favorite scene in the film. Uh, it's it's crazy. And a film full of favorite scenes. This um, stands above. Uh, but people are being offed pretty indiscriminately at this point. Yeah, and up next, of course, it's intrepid reporter Sylvia Costa from the Madrid Mirror. Yeah, who only really existed long enough to be killed. She is not there long at all. No. However, though, one of your stronger deaths, I think. Yeah, I really like her death. I think it's a really visually striking scene. I yeah. know you said something similar as well. Yeah, yeah. I think like I think that the actual chase is you know, a little bit six out of ten. But when it com- <laughs> but when it comes to the actual kill. Again, a callback to this kind of nonsense uh, comment that was made by one of the students earlier about having sex in a waterbed. She's killed in a waterbed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that this, as a visual, the way that it's put together, it looks great. It's 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 quality. It looks it looks brilliant. Really artfully done. Yeah, i just I was kind of I was pretty impressed by it. Ultimately, culminating in this kind of fairly gnarly head stab. Yeah. That I'm pretty into. Again, I just want to apologise to people. Uh, I am in the process of buying a new chair for this recording room. So if you do hear any creaks and squeaks, apologies, this chair is fucked. <laughs> it's best you know. <laughs> now, we cut then to a scene of bad tennis. This film is filled with scenes of bad tennis. Earlier on, just after the introduction of Mary, we get a scene that's kind of, I would say, a kind of exhibition or showcase of her talents. Yeah, I think that's what it's intended to be. There certainly. is nothing about her tennis that would indicate that she was in any way a tennis pro and not an actress hired to play someone wearing a tennis outfit. Yeah, it's an unbelievable exercise in tennis mediocrity. <laughs> but we have more of that here, leading into yet another gratuitous scene of female nudity. I think potentially the most, the most. Like, oh yeah, you're gonna see some cubic thatch. Yeah, most and most unnecessary, most egregious, I would of course, say, of the yeah. bunch. I would say this one, mm-hmm. um, pretty good death though. In fairness, yep, I would say like, I think like it's what it's one of the more unnecessary ones, arguably the most unnecessary death in the film. Right. Okay. Go because, on. Because while well, we know literally nothing about this girl before or after the incident, she, she just... plays tennis. Okay, sorry, that's the one thing we know. Right. Okay. Um, and we... she has quite the pubic thatch. Yeah, I mean, but like literally, those are the two bullet points that we know. Right. <laughs> uh, when she eventually dies in the shower, I want to say is she of the room. She's in the, the the changing rooms and she's pursued down the corridors by the killer. Yeah. Into a toilet cubicle, I think. Okay. Um, I my head with well, it could be a shiver. It could be a shiver. Anyway, it's very much in that ballpark. Uh, brief aside, pretty gross story. She oh, was on. so freaked out by the chainsaw that um, the moment where she pisses herself, mm-hmm. she peed herself for real, and they kept it in the film. Oh wow, really? Yeah, apparently. Um, Jeez. As the as the story goes, so okay, uh, quite go. unsettling that they kept that in there. I mean, needless to say, I assumed that was fake. <laughs> yeah, apparently not, man. Apparently that. Um, was- Piping hot. But from um, a practical effects angle, the actual death itself, pretty great, I think. Because she's sliced in half. Yep, and apologies to all my vegan friends out there, but uh, my very first film did use real pork as a as a human kind of simulator. Oh, really? And uh, I know that this scene certainly used uh, okay. pig carcass for uh, the death scene here. That adds uh, up. I think it, it's a great effect. <laughs> no, yeah, it's, I mean, it's very effective. And a cheap effect. No, it works really well. I mean, it really does. And by the time anyone shows up on the scene, uh, her legs are gone. 
her legs are gone and she has a pile of what is real real animal blood and real animal organs. And but like visually looks it's a very arresting kind of like visual. It's probably one of the stronger visuals in the film. Yeah, I think that that half corpse thing's great. I, I know uh it's probably if you if you were to Google PCs or whatever, it's one of the first images I think that comes up. Oh yeah, definitely. It's, it's, with the also, it's using the artwork in a lot. Like, yeah, a lot of yeah, different I versions. Think they, of the artwork, I think the so. Arrow, uh, the Arrow DVD that came out. The Arrow DVD uh, is what I watched of this. Right, I think on the front cover of that has a an interpretation of that. On that's it, right. Yeah, one yeah. of the one of the front covers of that has an interpretation of it. Yeah, I ha- that's the one I have. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so by the like I say, by the time that anyone shows up, legs are gone. She's long dead, mm-hmm. and we have I think Mary's strongest moment because it is Mary and Kendall that um, discover this. Of course, Kendall's there. Needless to say, Kendall is there. This could be the perfect crime, by the way. This whole film could be the perfect crime. This could have all been Kendall's master plan. Holy shit. Think about that. Yeah. That's something for you to ruminate on. But, yeah, since we announced this film, the amount of fucking people that have sent us this as gifts, as messages, <laughs> this is entirely hilarious. Mary's reaction to a girl she's played tennis with once, she has met <laughs> one time, being murdered, is, I think, one of the great emotionally moving arresting scenes in cinema. Andy, I believe that if either of us tried to replicate this, we'd be doing it a disservice. I think the best way to proceed here is just to let Mary do it herself. Couldn't agree more. You see it? Yes! While we were out here fumbling with that music, the lousy bastard was in there killing her! Bastard! 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 (laughs) So there you go. There you have it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Bastard. (laughs) Bastard. Seldom has that word been delivered with more conviction. Absolutely not. No, no, no. So... We're kind of moving into the um, the investigation is kind of hitting high gear. Yeah, this film is breathless again in its pacing. Yeah, which it has in common with Slugs. There's an unbelievable sense of urgency about absolutely every last moment of this. Which you would expect from a police procedural. <laughs> Given yeah. the stakes. Yeah, they're known for their brisk pacing. <laughs> yeah, the stakes are high. Uh, except for Zodiac, which is a film I love but does not rush. Good grief, yeah, that's a slow burning <laughs> film. That's a slow burning procedural. So, before we get back into the kind of real thrust of the investigation, we do get this kind of ominous stuff where, again, the killer kind of... You get a fairly obvious solution to where the legs have gone from the previous murder because you see the familiar gloved hands kind of trying to get these legs and feet to fit into some heels. Yeah, into the mother's... uh, The mother from the beginning's shoes. The the blood-spattered shoes from... From the box in the opening. If you recall. If you recall way back then. Yeah, um, and they don't fit. Yeah, we cut into that and then... Some of my favourite nonsense stuff happens around here. <laughs> the ending is such a whirlwind of fucking madness. About, about, the last, about the last 20 minutes or so of this is just insanity, and I love it so much. Because, again, this kind of willingness, because I think at this point, I mean, forget Willard, forget anyone else. Mm-hmm. Your top person of interest is still Kendall. I would absolutely say he has been present at every scene yeah pattern of erratic behavior always kind of adjacent to the murders i 100 percent think that he's your prime suspect however turns up at the police station posits a theory about um some of them being on staff gets drawn into the investigation and included in he's a lieutenant, policeman lieutenant like, holden just... 
who initially is incredibly skeptical and is like, so you want to play policeman, huh? You make it sound, you make it sound far seedier, but actually, yeah, it has a seedy connotation. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm quoting it as directly as possible. But then, but so he's like, yes, and he's like, okay, but then that skepticism immediately just evaporates, and he hands him this huge wad of files. Yeah, the case, the case file. Yeah, and he's like, oh, can you just go dig through this and write down every reference to a member of staff? Kendall is a policeman now. He yeah. is in the. He's one of the guys. For all intents and purposes, yeah, and who's he Officer is, Kendall? He, Officer Kendall. He has inserted himself thoroughly into the into the investigation, as psychopaths are known to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, he is uh, ultimately responsible for unraveling the truth, solving truth, the crime. Air quotes. Well, but yeah, yeah. Um, you're right, though. He, I mean, he hits on the key point. <laughs> Incidentally, after approximately what I would say is about eight minutes of reading. Uh, reading through the files, but he lands on some pretty crucial information about the Dean. Yeah. Uh, most notably that his mother was murdered and, or died under mysterious circumstances. His name was changed and so on. They kind of, they run an investigation into this and it becomes fairly apparent that the Dean becomes the prime suspect. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and in the next scene where Mary visits the Dean's apartment, uh, the film doesn't really make a particular show of that reveal. No, no, the, the film completely just launches into the fact that now we know the Dean is evil as he prepares cup after cup of poison for me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, genuinely, that's all it is. <laughs> they have a conversation where they're in two separate rooms and he comes in with a coffee that you've seen him spiking with something. Oh, yeah. And comes in as, like, coffee. And then, literally, the minute she drinks it, disappears, refills it, comes back and is like... Would you like another cup of poison? Precisely, exactly. <laughs> It's so true. Like, um, yeah, like it's your most suspicious moment in the film. I it's think it's like in, a like a muscle paralysis. paralysis yeah, where so she can't move, kind of, but she can yeah, some kind of paralysis. But she's responsive, and she can. Yeah, yeah. Mary, after a short exchange and conservatively seven cups of poison coffee. Um, free- I love that uh, the dude's getting more and more kind of fucked off. That the coffee's not like having any effect on it, and he's just purely yeah, because it doesn't take right away. <laughs> <laughs> That's why he's like, more coffee? Yeah, he's like visibly rattled by the time he's doing the third one. <laughs> but eventually, uh, yeah, she does freezes, and as you pointed out, in a kind of Patrick Bateman kind of way, he puts down a plastic sheet and all this kind of thing, um, and kind of makes a move to start sewing off her feet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At this point, Holden and Kendall have kind of put this together in their head. They're racing to go and intervene because they knew that Mary was heading there. And at this point, you're hurtling towards the final standoff of the film. And I cannot stress enough the multiple levels on which the final standoff of this film is insane. <laughs> yep. So Bracken, Holden, and Kendall. Of course, Kendall, given oh, that he's now a policeman. An honorary police officer. Uh, burst in. <laughs> a struggle ensues between uh, the Dean and Kendall. Kendall. Yeah. Uh, where it kind of looks like Kendall's going to be... He's going to, like... I, th- I, I I personally, I I think at this point the Dean's getting the better of him. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. But then... Well, the Dean is a stridum. He is, yeah, yeah. Brandishing a butcher knife. A Halloween-esque oversized butcher knife. Don't get me started. <laughs> oversized kitchenware. But uh, Bracken kind of cuts off this with what I think is an absolutely gloriously framed kill shot. Yeah, he... Uh, it's proper James Bond. It's so dramatic. execution. He... Leaps into the room, 
perfect timing, bang, through the forehead, and then finishes it off with what I can only describe as a Nick Cage-esque Elvis point. Yeah. Yeah, like proper cherry-on-the-cake type fucking coolness. It was pretty remarkable, to be fair. Only way it could have been cooler is if he then spun the gun and blew away some smoke. Yeah, yeah. And for which, now you've said it, I'm kind of sorry it didn't happen. But um, he's been dispatched at this point, and you kind of... You kind of feel like normality is returning a little bit, you of know. Um, uh, Mary's kind of coming around. <laughs> Weirdly, you get a gentle love theme when it really seriously looks like Kendall and Bracken are going to kiss. <laughs> They're like, "Oh my god, everyone fucking fancies this guy. Like, he's not even that attractive. Like, everybody <laughs> wants to fuck him." That is so true. They're just having like a wistful moment after yeah, happened, but then like it's a proper love theme that plays. Like. Oh, right. like Kendall is irresistible to everyone. Yeah, not actually going to kiss. Oh. Um, and at this point, yeah, you, you get like Mary, you know, like the muscle, the kind of muscle paralysis things. Wore off in record time. Yeah, like I mean, like, realistically, if left to her own devices, she'd have been able to take care of that herself and after yeah. like another, another minute or so. Yeah, if but, the phone had went, she'd have been absolutely fine. Like, oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, any kind of diversion. But no, um, you kind of feel like it's kind of hurtling towards the end. You get two very effective jump scares in a row. I think. Right. Because um, Holden and uh, Kendall are having this very kind of like funny, huh, maybe you should be a policeman conversation. Or maybe you should b- be a student. <laughs> like... Maybe you should have a girl, Mark. Um, <laughs> but right in the middle of this conversation, Holden leans on a bookcase, which... S- I think this is more an armoire. Yeah, that's fair. It's more like an armoire. And it spins around and a dead body or a Frankenstein monster of uh, body parts from all his previous his previous victims. Yeah, very much a Patty Mullen Frankenhooker. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, patchwork, if you've seen Tyler McIntyre's film. Yeah, May. May, yeah, yeah. Is all my, of these things. Needless <laughs> to say, May is my main frame of reference for this. But yeah, yeah, that, that body... That kind of patch up job. That body is laughing, by the way, the whole time. Like that actress is unable to. Oh yeah, uncontainable. Unable to, to, to keep her fucking water together, like she is pissing herself laughing. Yeah, and all the while she uh, collapses on Kendall and pins him to the ground, which, like I say, as an actual as a moment, is very effective, but is also very funny. Yeah, yeah, and we kind of knew it was coming because that part hadn't really been revealed by this point. That yeah, he'd been taking uh, the bits from all the various bodies and cobbling them together into this one Frankenstein kind of jigsaw body. Yeah. Uh, it's worth mentioning as well that when um, J.P. Simone got the 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 script originally, it was called Jigsaw. Okay. Yeah, it's obviously kind of playing into that he likes Jigsaw's puzzles and he's cobbled together his Jigsaw lady. Uh, this, a considerably better film than Jigsaw 2017. Oh, fuck yeah. yeah I've watched <laughs> PCs any old day of the week. Um, so yeah, like, but again, we kind of we we blew straight past that and the sheets over the corpse and the yeah. Jigsaw and the Jigsaw dead body and everyone's kind of getting ready to go again and I'm going to leave it to you to describe exactly what happens here. Well, I, I'll have a crack at it, but I'd not entirely sure I know what happens. Kendall steps over the body to pick up his jacket. I believe that the jigsaw corpse has somehow reanimated mm-hmm. and it reaches up and pulls his cock off. I mean, that's exactly what happens. That's my read. Right. I'm pretty sure. But, like, I. Yeah, I just said I thought you might tell it better than I would. And I think that you did. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a baffling moment and it's the closing moment. Also. Kendall's cock. Uh, everybody wants it. Everybody needs it. <laughs> and it's now, it's been torn off. That, that was it. That was all is he it, had. Is it the last person that found him irresistible? Yeah, the that, was it. that corpse. Was it. Now, now he's a eunuch. 
Yeah, it's true. Uh, and he's yeah, cockless, ballless as well, presumably. So yeah, he's uh, everything that was Kendall as we know him is gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah and it ends right there. <laughs> uh, yeah, literally in that moment, freeze frames and off, and uh, that's and the off. end of pieces. And so ends pieces. Oh my God, um, that's fucking amazing, man. It's it's really something. Just do it. Get it out. Yeah, it's great fun. I had a great time with it. I've seen it before. I've now seen it three times. Right. Um, yeah, I had a laugh with it. I always do. I would contend that around the time that you have the girl that loses both arms, which is a great effect. Mm-hmm. So maybe the one after that, I would say, is around the time that the chainsaw murder started to feel a little bit one note to me. Right. Okay. That That's my chief criticism of it. Because I, I think that I can embrace the ridiculousness of it almost entirely. But I think that my main gripe with it is that I think that I wish that there had been a little bit more variety to some of the murders. Fair enough. That's 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 understandable. Um, what um what I want to say just quickly is that there was some talk of J.P. Simone doing a sequel. Okay. Off the back of the success of this, and certainly in Spain and in the U.S., uh, it kind of fell by the wayside, and it, it never kind of never came to anything. If anyone is still tossing that idea around, then please accept my hat as being thrown into the ring because I would love a crack at this. Like, I really, really would. Uh, Where do you think the story has to or, go from here? Oh, uh, untold places. Uh, in fact, it might just become patchwork by Tyler McIntyre's film. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Nice, yeah, it's a nice so patchwork. By uh, I, I don't know if Tyler's listening. You can get in touch and tell us if uh, at any point pieces was watched in the run up to patchwork. Yeah, there's certain elements I think that we kind of that kind of link in. I just think, like I said at the start, pieces is just fun from start to finish. It doesn't make the slightest lick of sense, and it doesn't have to. It doesn't purport to be anything other than what it is, which is just a low-budget film designed for drive-ins, designed for people to enjoy and have a laugh and be grossed out, and it's everything it wants to be. And I genuinely think Pieces is one of the funnest slasher films to come out of Europe during this kind of period. Yeah, I mean, there's very little arguing with that. I mean, like, it is a lot of fun, and I think that there is this kind of very obvious and very conscious embracing of its own ridiculousness mm-hmm. that I think serves it really well. It's a perfect midnight movie. It really is. Mm-hmm. It really is. I mean, like it's a massive pile of nonsense, but these things are supposed to be, and that's part of the fun. And yeah, it was an interesting one. I've been kind of like, like I say, I've been kind of, I'm surprised it's taken us to episode 22 to talk about it. <laughs> but we've done it now. We've done it now. And yeah, I mean, like I've got, I've like pieces is great. Yeah, uh, I right. would absolutely urge everyone to seek it out if you can get it. In the UK, there is an... I, I don't know if you can still get it, but there was an, an Arrow Video DVD for sure. Yep, yep, yep. But uh, only a couple of months ago, Arrow Video brought out the Blu-ray. And okay. there's also a, like, a special edition Blu-ray you can get, which comes in the gift wrap box with the jigsaw from the film in it as well. Oh, wow. Um, okay, cool. Grindhouse releasing did a very similar thing in the US with the jigsaw. Um, so all that stuff's out there if you want to pick it up. But uh, yeah, it's just great. It's and very, very much worth your time and very accessible in a lot of different yeah, ways. And it is never, never not entertaining. Oh yeah, it's loads of other things, but it's never not entertaining. Yeah, hundred percent. No, I mean, like uh, there was a, there was a minimal amount of defending needed done here, but I think that pieces. I just are... wanted to watch pieces again. <laughs> yeah, and it's a perfectly good, it's, it's a perfectly legit one because I mean the reception to this overall. I mean, obviously, it's picked up a bit of a cult following, a massive cult following since yeah. it came out. But the reception at the time wasn't great, and the, critically, time hasn't been that kind to it. No, no, but the people who've seen it, who, like us, like this kind of thing, they love it. 
Yeah, as uh, well, and for good reason. Yeah, I think so. No, I totally yeah. agree. And do you know what? There'll never be a film like it again. I think that that's probably true. Um, maybe for the best as well, but uh, it is, it, it's just it's just great. I did start doing that thing where I started mentally casting a remake when I was watching it. Oh, but, fuck, right. Okay. But, I, but I did have, like, I find it quite tricky, though, in fairness as well. Right, okay. David Strathairn is bracken. Any fucking role you want. Any, <laughs> any role you want. Randy Holden. I'd be very interested to know what anybody else would think of this as well. If you were remaking pieces now, who would you cast? Also, by the way, I just want to mention uh, that since we announced this, just about everyone who's got in touch with us um, has been overwhelmingly positive about pieces. Yeah, people love this film. Yeah. Uh, And like I say, again, for good reason. Oh, absolutely. Um, Yeah, yeah. If you haven't seen it, again, I feel like this is another Pumpkinhead situation where if you've seen Pumpkinhead, you pretty much love Pumpkinhead. If yeah. you haven't seen Pumpkinhead, you don't know that you love it yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> totally I feel like agree. the same is kind of true about Pieces. Um, we are not defending the indefensible here, and we are not necessarily making the case for it. Okay, objectively, it's a it's not a great film. It's not particularly oh, from well a made. technical perspective. No, um, the music is all stolen from other artists. There's stuff from Fabio Fritzi in there. There's stuff from Claudio Simonetti and Goblin. Technically, it's not a great film, but it's fucking fun. There's no denying that. No. No, absolutely not. And I guess that's just about it for another one. Wow. Yeah, shit. Do you know what that means, though? We're cannonballing into October. We are cannonballing into October, and October is a big one. Um, If you've been enjoying what we've been doing so far, you're going to want to stick around, because October, things get really interesting. (laughs) We hope. Yeah, certainly. I hope so. Uh, Yeah, we've got some amazing guests to announce, and uh, just in case you missed it on Wednesday, we did also mention that uh, we are doing our first ever live show on the 19th of October at the Showroom Cinema in Sheffield at 3pm as part of the 10th anniversary year of Cyanide Screams. Massive. And um, basically, I think that the whole idea of us doing a live show at something like that being a credible suggestion in the first place is mostly because people have been listening and people have been interacting and this has already kind of grown in the way that we didn't expect it to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, we plan to do much the same as we do in one of these episodes when we have a guest on. But we have some stuff to give away. We have some films, some booze, and we're just going to have a laugh. And we will even do a Mitchie's pitch or two. Yeah, we've got some really cool stuff in the works for this. More information just in general about how this is going to work. Yeah, that'll all be coming very, very soon. Keep watching this, guys. We'll, uh, we'll and I be... just want to thank Rob and the team again for giving us a chance to do this. Like... Yeah, yeah, taking a part on us. Very, very kind. Uh, thank you very much for that. But yeah, we will be back, of course, on Monday morning, 8 a.m. BST with another mini-sode. Join us for that if you can. You can expect all the usual nonsense. Yeah, Mitch's pitches, feedback, what we've been watching, Shotwiz 100, podcast recommendations, blah, blah, blah. And of course, the announcement of the film and the guest for next week. And you're going to be pretty surprised by this one, I think. Yeah, I think it's important to, should we just should we just say just now, something a little bit different in terms of the film. Definitely a little bit different. It's not but, a rom-com, nothing stupid like that. Like, yeah, we're not doing we're not doing like when Harry met Sally or anything like that. Because it's fucking great. Oh, well, it's class. Yeah. But yeah, we kind of got the suggestion. We looked at it and we decided that yeah, technically it's worth a punt. Technically fits the profile. Let's do it. Yeah, so it's a little bit different. So we're warning your heads up in case we get any fucking backlash on it. Yeah, if it like we set, we have very few rules 
for the films that people can choose and it technically it technically meets them all gotta say i'm not looking forward to it i think it's gonna be fun <laughs> in the meantime if you want to get in touch with this there's loads of ways you can do that on facebook and instagram we are strong language violent scenes you can tweet us at strong violent pc and you can also email strong language violent scenes at gmail.com Yep, and as you know, there's loads of places that you can listen to us. You can get us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, our home at Podbean, and the recently announced Acast app. Yeah, you can get us there. So we'll be back on Monday. Join us then if you can. But in the meantime, don't forget, we're just buying clothes with no labels and trying them on for size. Good night. Profound. You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean. 